From planet Earth, it's the IGN DigiGuys. So take off your thinking caps and please welcome two maniacs who finally really did it. They blew it up. Ah, damn you. God damn you all to hell. Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Uh, Mark, we are uh, we are not going to talk about the Zimmerman Trayvon Martin trial. Uh, okay, because <laughs> that's not what we do here. We're the only people in the media that will not be talking about that this week. But we do. Here's what we will talk about, though. What will we talk about? You realize that Criterion has a bunch of new uh, Blu-rays that they have uh, announced on their site. And what would those be? You don't even know, do you? I, I, I keep track of it, but you know, once it once I enter it, you know how many hundreds of titles I have to enter into the database every week. We have. Uh, to be or not to be? Yes. Ernst Lubitsch? Yes. Devil's Backbone? Yes. In honor of that huge, humongous, worldwide hit from Del Toro Pacific Rim? Very nice. <laughs> or maybe not. Uh, seconds by John Frankenheimer. Also, finally, ladies and gentlemen, very exciting, the Blu-ray of the best film directed by my step-grandfather, The Uninvited. Nice. The Uninvited by Lewis Allen, my step-grandfather. Yes is coming out on Blu-ray via Criterion. That's pretty great. That is pretty great. Yeah, you're going to have a family celebration? Uh, that's a negative, because I don't talk to my stepmother anymore. Oh, okay. Well, not really. Well, I actually, I don't. But for no particular reason. I just sort of don't. Okay. That's pretty bad. I hope she's not listening to this. But actually, that's okay, because she probably doesn't. Well, that's all right. <laughs> so we, have, uh, we actually have quite a bit of fun stuff today. We've got a giveaway. What? A giveaway for a title that we already covered. But uh, we have a giveaway, and we've got some uh, listener mail. And uh, we are still, of course, soliciting listener mail and Vox boxes and uh, outros. No, no. We need outros. Uh, So go ahead and send us your suggestions for outros. We have a couple outros. A number of people have thrown us suggestions, and we like them. We like them. I don't know if we've settled on anything yet. but We have not. uh, We have not, but we will eventually. And uh, gosh, we got a whole bunch of uh, bunch of fun stuff. Um, we actually have a couple of criterions this week too. We do. We do indeed. But Mark, let's start with something. We're going to start with, <laughs> with television, and I will let you lead the celebration because we will never again have to talk about that ever again. That's true. We never have to talk about Matlock ever again because on DVD <laughs> is Matlock. The ninth and final season. You know that's not true. They're going to come out with like uh, fan favorite episodes, and they're going to come out with the complete uh, Matlock box set for the holidays, and then they're going to come out with uh, you know uh, Matlock's women, uh, and then they're going to come out with uh, y- you know Jim Carrey's favorite Matlock episodes. It's uh, it's never going to end. But, but the thing is, on the DVD it says the ninth and final season. Does that mean? There's two seasons in here, the ninth season no, and the, the final ninth. season, which would be the tenth season, <laughs> oh, forbid, no. or is the ninth no, no, no. also the final season? Ninth is also the final, thing. Understood. Goodness. Here, yes. another one you will yeah. not buy. Moving on. Uh, BBC, The uh, Misfits, season three. Not The Misfits, just Misfits, so, season wait, three. I'm so dizzy. Why are you dizzy? <sighs> What'd you do? I think I know why I'm dizzy. Why are you dizzy? Well, for the first time ever, I made sorbet. Yes. And... I was kind of worried about making sorbet because I never made sorbet, and it sounds kind of all like a Frenchy and a Shishi and yeah. uh, whatever. And so, I made the sorbet, right? Which is comically easy as a as a recipe. Yes, but I was worried about it because I wanted it to taste good. I had heard that if you make it a certain way, it'll freeze into just a gigantic block of ice that cannot be thawed out ever. Right. So I made the sorbet. Well, then then it just becomes a popsicle. N- no. Okay. I, I, I don't want a popsicle. I want sorbet. Okay. 
So I made the sorbet. Worst case, you get a popsicle. Yes, and that would be the worst case. Okay. Uh, So I make the sorbet. It tastes really good. And then I freeze it, and I'm like, I'm worried. I wonder if it's frozen into a popsicle. So I try it, like a teaspoon every half an hour until like 10.30 at night. And I realize, as I wake up this morning, just so dizzy and so sugared out, that I realize I probably ate what is basically a pint of water, sugar, and cocoa powder, which is really all sorbet is. Yes. It's chocolate sorbet. And, uh, and I, re- I think that's the reason why. I just ate too much sugar last night because I was eating teaspoonfuls of sorbet until like 10.30 at night last night. So I'm saying that I'm, I, I'm sitting here talking to the good people of uh, Digigod Land, and I'm just hellaciously dizzy. What a life you lead. <laughs> what a blessed life I lead. What a life you lead. Well, anyway, Misfits um, is kind of like this weird, tweaked British version of Heroes. Uh, yes, it's, it's, a, it, it's a superhero show. But I need it's not, protein. It's not like a superhero show you've ever seen. When, anyway. you're, busy, when, when you're dizzy, do you need protein? Because if sugar... Know. Iron, you need you... iron. No. Yeah, iron. Really? Yeah. You made that up. No. Why? Well, how do you know that? I, you just need iron. I'm going to Google this. You're PMSing. That's the problem. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, so Misfits, if you haven't seen the show before, season three is going to make almost no sense to you. You really almost have – I mean, because it, it, it picks up off of a cliffhanger. So you need to, uh, you need to watch the first two seasons to really uh, vibe with this. But anyway, it's, it's a cool show. Um, I, I can't say I've ever completely gotten into it because I haven't watched it enough. But uh, I, I kind of I'm, – I'm getting the vibe a little bit. Um. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, Combat, the complete fourth season. Uh, Combat was a cool show. Stars a man who uh, wound up with no head. Uh, poor Vic Morrow, the father of Jennifer Jason Lee. What? And Vic Morrow, of course, lost his head on uh, the uh, Twilight Zone, the movie accident. Uh, you know what's cool about this? Uh, th- these shows from this era in particular is just all the guest stars. All these, all these kind of old, uh, cool shows from the uh, the fifties and the sixties. They always had really cool guest stars who went on to become somebody, and it's amazing that people show up in here. Believe it or not, um, Leonard Nimoy is on here. Uh, John Cassavetes shows up in here. It's it's pretty cool. And uh, I should point out also that the co-star of this mo- uh, this uh, series is Rick Jason, the amazing Rick Jason, who wound up being uh, rather significant in uh, the movie Day of the Wolves, which is one of my all-time favorite. Uh, Cult films. Yeah, Rick Jason, totally cool dude. Uh, uh, Hell on Wheels, wait. Hell on Wheels Hell is on the wheels. Uh, uh, season two of Hell on Wheels. Hell on Wheels. Well, Hell on, Hell on Wheels. Hell on Wheels is an AMC show about the uh, the making of the uh, Transcontinental Railroad, uh, Ooh, which is called. Exciting. Uh, it's exciting to me. I like that Western stuff. Okay. I think what the show is that it feels a little kind of like um, it feels a little showy. Feels like I this thing just stole a bunch of dialogue and icons and performance cues from like other movies about the same subject mm-hmm. and other westerns and it is like like Deadwood was its own thing. Deadwood was like amazing. Right. Hell on Wheels feels like the ironically enough the training wheels version of Deadwood. But it's really not that it's not that bad. You know, if you love westerns, maybe give it a spin. Obviously you start with season one. But uh yeah, Hell on Wheels season uh two. This show never really I mean, it's, it's coming back to AMC, but it hasn't really taken off for AMC like uh, Walking Dead has. But uh, anyway, so Helen Wheels Season 2 on DVD, not Blu-ray. Not Blu-ray. That's unfortunate. Uh, some other cool stuff from BBC. Uh, Doctor Who, The Doctor's Revisited. You know, the uh, this is... 
you, you need to really be an unbelievable Doctor Who maniac to uh, to kind of vibe with this because this is this was done for the 50th anniversary of the show, which is staggering that any show would have a 50th anniversary if it's not the Tonight Show, you know, something like that, or the Today Show. I mean, this is a scripted episodic show. Anyway, uh, so in this case, the um, this is the, and there are a number of these, by the way. These are all uh, tribute collections it's this is like volume one and uh it features the aztecs the tomb of the cyberman spearhead from space and pyramids of mars which uh those are those are shows paying tribute to the uh the first four actors ever to play doctor who and uh, of course other sets will come in the future kind of giving you samplings of other shows for other doctors but anyway here you got uh obviously tributed william hartnell patrick Troughton or Trufton, John Pertwee, and Tom Baker. Tom Baker was the first of the young Who's, right? He was the guy. He was the Doctor Who from our youth. He's when that's when they went from an old dude to a young dude with curly hair. I, you know what? I'm. You don't care. I, Doctor Who is just beyond me. I don't understand it. You know, here's what I'm reading now. Tardis. You want to know what I'm reading now? What are you reading now? Because I, I, I don't really care about okay. stupid Doctor Who. Yeah. How to meet women on airplanes. That's great. Here it is. Here the here the thing. Scope out passengers while boarding. This is how bored oh, I am listening to you talk about uh, Doctor Who. Scope out your passengers while boarding. Start with a message. Don't buy her. Don't get her a drink on the plane yeah. first. Get a message, and then if you get her a drink afterwards, yeah, then yeah, it's yeah. a message of friendliness. Okay. Uh, reference the weirdness of like meeting of somebody on a plane. Spark up a conversation. Then deploy the drink. Never send food. Oh dear. That's it. That's uh, that's what I've. Uh, that's what I'm reading. Okay. Now, regarding Orphan Black, people think that the star of this uh, show was completely yeah. uh, gypped in it for a uh, uh, Emmy nomination. Tatiana Maslany. Correct. Yeah, she's great. I just don't think she got the nomination because I don't think anybody who Sees votes the show for the or heard of the show. I, yeah, I, I think I think it has a certain following, and like uh, kind of like Downton Abbey, it will take time to to catch on. This is a really good show, actually. Um, the uh, the Maslany, who is just fantastic, she plays uh, this orphan who uh, witnesses a woman's suicide. And as it turns out, the woman looks just like her. So she just assumes the woman's identity, and uh, that's what the show is all about. It is, uh, it is really cool. It is really thrillery, and it doesn't feel like one of those uh, kind of lost shows where everything just disappears down a rabbit hole, and every week is just uh, another question at, piled on top of the previous week's question, and you never really come to any kind of resolution. This actually feels like it has direction and focus, and it's, it's a really interesting show. It's really, really well written. Good cast, and uh, Maslani is terrific. She's just terrific. So I expect this show to really, really pick up. And some great directing on this show by guys I've never heard of. So I think there are, uh, seriously, keep an eye on some of the directors. Watch the names of some of the episodes. Um, you're going to see these guys show up uh, directing features very soon. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really good guys. And probably some women eventually, too. Doodle, 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 doodle. Twilight Zone, third season. Why buy this when you can buy the entire series on Blu-ray or on a used DVD? Uh, I don't know why you would buy these individually unless you're a unless you have a no money and b are a huge fan of the third season, but did not a fan anal, of any other did, season. Did you say anal money? <laughs> exactly. You said anal money. I did not. Yes, you did. I blame it on my dizziness. By the way, I was looking up uh, ways to cure dizziness. Okay. Should I read them to you? No, please don't. <laughs> Uh, all right, third season includes uh, Leonard Nimoy, Charles Bronson, Cliff Robertson, uh, Bill Moomy, Robert Redford, Cal Burnett. Lots of great, ep- lots of great episodes in the uh, third season. Um, good stuff. 
Love the Twilight Zone. Buy the Blu-ray complete series. Don't buy one individual season. Not worth it. Uh, complete second season of Femme Fatales. Uh, this is uh, just a nothing of a show. It's kind of like, I mean, it's not softcore pornography, but it's kind of like, <laughs> it wishes it was softcore pornography. It's got a weird cast. Eric Roberts is in it. Casper Van Dien from Starship Troopers is in it. Robert Picardo from Star Trek Voyager is in it. And Steve Railsback, the old Steve Railsback, is in it. And uh, yeah, it's very pulpy and wants to be kind of noirish, and which 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 on this show means like uh, throw a bunch of shadows and you're noir. Um, I just don't understand what the point of the show is. Femme Fatales, pointless. No reason to. You buy know, there's it, a really it, cool. There's it. a really cool uh, show called How the States Got Their Shapes, and this is season two. This is a History Channel show. Shows up on History Channel and H two H two. It's that other History Channel. Um, this is actually really cool. The it's it's informative and educational, which you just don't get enough of anymore these days. Uh, now this is really really great. This is uh, hosted by a guy named Brian Unger, who is uh, he goes on the road and visits all the states in the union and uh, just talks to ordinary people and makes it all a teaching opportunity to tell us basically the history of the states, why they are what they are, how the borders got to be there, what defines the states culturally, how they differ from other states, when there are you know differences between states, border states, rivalries, all that stuff. It's just it, you're learning about your country and how it came to be, and it's, uh, it's a really, really cool show. Uh, 19 episodes and 20 minutes of bonus footage that's not all that important here, but uh, really good stuff you get uh, like hillbilly versus redneck bigfoot versus aliens battle of the bible belt um uh, rebels and outlaws hatfields and mccoys he even gets into that white collar versus blue collar it's really interesting it's just it it's it's american culture um just dumped into a mason jar and then speaking of american culture the dick van dyke show <gasps> oh it's so good you see that what is that that's is the, that the whole thing oh, this is the fourth, fourth season. season fourth season on blu-ray and uh, what a great show. I just it, Watching this stuff over and over, I, you, you realize this is what it was all about. How much do you love MeTV? There's this new cable channel called MeTV. Meet TV. Me, M-E-TV. Oh, I thought it was going to be like and, uh, television for people who hate vegetarians. No. I was like, and, meat uh, television? What is it, like Slaughterhouse video all day long? Oh, and, That'd be kind of cool, actually, wouldn't it? Uh, who, who, who wouldn't like that? Yeah, I would. MeTV. This is all they show on MeTV. You would love me. Oh, my God, you'd love me, TV. Yeah. All they show is uh, Dick Van Dyke show, Bob Newhart show, Mary Tyler Moore, oh, Carol best. Burnett. That's oh. all they show. That's all, That's all they show, those old school shows. They should have three different cable channels. There should be Me TV, what you just talked about. There should be Meat TV, M-E-A-T, where it's just slaughterhouse and cooking shows all day long. And you know how to how to like kill a cow, uh, how to bake a cow. How to, now here it is. Uh, ready? Cook, All right. Shut up. No one cares. Cow. Shut yeah. up. Okay. Emergency. Adam. Tw- By the way, I, I have no stock in MeTV. It's just this is so up our alley. Emergency. Adam Twelve. Dragnet. The old Batman. Lost in space. The old Star Trek. Sven Gulli. I don't know what that is. Sven Gulli. Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, and all sorts of other good. In stuff. other words, for people in their forties, if you want to relive summertime. Bewitched, when, when Brady you were, Bunch. When you were a kid, this is the network for you. Combat, Dobie Gillis, Donna Reed Show, The Fugitive, Get Smart. Oh, my gosh. The greatest, Hawaii Five-O. Greatest thing ever. Make Room for Daddy. <laughs> and some shows i never heard of. Mr. Lucky, Night yeah. Gallery. This is the greatest uh, thing ever. And then to finish my joke, which you totally derailed, uh, you would have another that channel called Meet TV, M-E-E-T, which would be uh, like a dating show. Like 24 hours of dating shows. 
And then people could argue about which me. T- I, turn on MeTV. No, not the Slaughterhouse Channel, the dating channel. No, I thought you wanted the one with the Dick Van Dyke show. Weren't you the one saying we only, we only had a short amount of time yeah, and a lot right. of DVDs? <laughs> All right. Carl Reiner created this show, by the way. Carl Reiner created this show. And uh, it's one of his great all-time achievements. This show is directly responsible for giving us an entire generation of great television writers and showrunners and so forth, uh, including James L. Brooks. Uh, so, you know, you can trace James L. Brooks right through the, from the Mary Tyler Moore show and Mary Tyler Moore in this show. It's like, I mean, there's a, there's a real pedigree that just emerges from this that's just brilliant. Anyway, uh, audio commentaries here from Carl Reiner, Dick Van Dyke, and Gary Marshall, another one who, uh, who came out of this, uh, this amazing factory. And a bunch of great extras here. Dick Van Dyke uh, singing the theme song of the Hollywood Bowl is kind of funny. Um, Emmy Award telecast stuff and a TV Academy tribute uh, to Carl Reiner featuring Dick Van Dyke, Ray Romano, and Brad Garrett, among many, many others. So uh, this is just fabulous, and it looks great on Blu-ray. Wonderful, wonderful work uh, doing the transfers. Got to say, they did a, a great job. Did a great job. Over there at RLJ, which, of course, is Robert Johnson's new blanket company that includes Image and Acorn and a lot of others. You know, Robert Johnson, the, uh, the BET billionaire. Right? Who I've heard cares nothing yeah. about nothing but money. I have friends who've been in meetings with him. Good and for like, him. All this guy cares. He doesn't care. Because, like, uh, a friend of mine was in a meeting with uh, – it was a big BET yeah. meeting. Yeah. And, you know, BET, BET should be – it should be a network – that empowers African Americans yeah. and promotes African American programming, and yeah. it shouldn't just be a bunch of African American themed stupid shows, right? You know, and the guy stands up and says, you know, hey, this should be a, a network that empowers African Americans right. and, and caters to their interests, and, and also, and Robert Johnson was like, I don't want to make money, <laughs> whatever, you go and do your little charity thing somewhere else. I don't want to make money. You All know right. what? That's why it's successful, man. <laughs> uh, and then lastly, Super Jail Season 3. Uh, God help us, Adult Swim still just doesn't make sense to me. Um, ten episodes plus special features. Uh, I, I, Mark, uh, help me understand Super Jail. Why? Uh, because that's the sort of programming these guys do? I guess. Ad- uh, Adult Swim. I am convinced that Adult Swim is just for people who are just they're just stoned on pot and uh, 2 a.m. and they can't get to sleep and and this just this is just to keep them occupied. I, I, I honestly, I'm absolutely convinced of that. I just I thoroughly, completely don't get it. Anyway, this is uncensored. We should point out so it uh, it contains mature themes and potential vulgarity. Uh, and the whole thing really does look like a uh, like a Rob Zombie uh, animated drug trip. So whatever. Super Jail season three. There it is. It's out there. I've done. Uh, Tyler Perry is starting to uh, branch out a little bit And it's funny because whenever he branches out He really just falls on his face uh, He did Alex Cross earlier this year Where you realize that you just cannot take him seriously He's like some you know, badass yeah, He's rich uh, enough that he can take chances That's true This time we have uh, Tyler Perry's Temptation Which is about a uh, marriage counselor A married woman who's, uh, who's uh, attracted to this billionaire And there's all sorts of crazy stuff that happens um, This is just Wildly overblown and yet at the same time boring. How does that happen? How can you be totally wildly overblown and melodramatic and at the same time boring? It's also predictable and it's terrible because Tyler Perry is terrible. I respect his, I respect him as a businessman and what he has created for himself. But in terms of his uh, artistic, uh, you know, merits, I, I'm just not feeling it. I do not feel it. I don't get it. Uh, this is a bad film, a very bad film, and it also includes. Um, it just, you know, it just shows what a shameless guy he is. He, he puts Kim Kardashian in it. Are you kidding me? Stop that. 
temptation. Sorry. I'm having none of it. Uh, the other Tyler Perry thing is uh, the haves and the have-nots. Now, this is a play. Tyler Perry's written a lot of plays. Tons. That's how he made his money. That's, That's how, how he, he became a success. And, plays. and this one involves uh, one of his characters, Grandma Hattie Mae. And I, I have to say, I, I, I almost like his plays better than anything else he's done, at least the ones that I've seen on DVD. Because I feel like that theatricality and over-the-topness works best on the stage because where everybody has to play to the rafters. Um, so there you go. This is the have and have-nots. It's totally fine. It's got a no-name cast. Uh, it's written and directed by uh, Tyler Perry. So there you go. Ha- the have and the have-nots. Tyler Perry should stay as a playwright. You know, there are certain movies that go uh, straight to video that try to sort of be like junior tent poles, right? Like, they have plots, and this this originally was a miniseries on television, so, I'm, uh, you know, it's not direct to, to video what's entirely, but I'm saying just generally there's a, there's a category of these things that never make it to theaters, and uh, they, they're sort of like tent pole junior. Like, if you can't go out and see... The big two hundred million dollar movie that blows up the world. Well, you know, stay home and watch our little direct DVD or VOD or uh, Reels Channel or Sci Fi production that that you know still blows up the world. Doesn't do it to the tune of two hundred million dollars, but you know, at least you're not gonna you don't have to leave the house and you don't have to pay eight, nine, ten, twelve, fifteen dollars for it. So that's kind of the mindset behind these things. And this is a Reels miniseries called Eve of Destruction. Starring the amazing trio of Stephen Weber, Christina Cox, and Treat Williams, who, of course, are huge stars, all three of them. And uh, the idea here is, if, if you believe it or not, that uh, uh, we're, we're trying to solve the energy crisis, so we poke a hole in the universe. Oops! I hate when that happens. And it uh, no, you're just it, going about your day, making sorbet, being and dizzy, you, and then suddenly, bam! You poked a hole in the universe. Yeah, anyway, like a whole lot of dark matter just pour, like it just pours out. It's sort of like you, 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 you know, you think, oh, I'm just gonna, I, I need to get a little bit of water. Let me see, like poke a hole in this dam, and then the whole thing just explodes all over you. So then they have to basically spend the whole thing plugging up the hole. It's it's like a, it's a, it's what it is. It's like you're you're in a boat. Oops, we got a hole. Plug it up. That's exactly what this is, except it just blows up cities and does all kinds of apocalyptic stuff. And uh, Stephen Weber just looks really concerned, and Treat Williams looks just devastated throughout. And I don't really know who this Christina Cox is. I I remember her from uh, Chronicles of Riddick, but um, otherwise she's perfectly fine and adequate, I guess. By the way, speaking of Chronicles of Riddick, have you seen the new trailer for uh, Riddick? I like Pitch Black, and I like the Chronicles of Riddick, and I have to say, I like that series. Did you? Did I don't you know why. You, I just do. I just have you I seen have, the trailer. I like this, uh, yes, I have. <laughs> did you watch the Red Band trailer? Yes, I did. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. He 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 would he would kick a knife so hard that it's. <laughs> I mean, uh, now in the context of the in the context of the complete film, okay, the film may be totally cheesy and it works in that context, but I never saw the film as being that stupid. Uh, it's awesome. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. You can't. You, you can't kick anything that hard to go through You've somebody's skull. Common sense entirely. Well, the way but that's okay. But I, I just that's didn't great. think that that was where where he was going. Uh, that's too funny. So with the uh, the TV series uh, Vikings. Speaking of, did you see the uh, the, the, the Comic Con trailer for season two of Vikings? I, I did not. <laughs> this stuff. Just, it's all purely for Comic Con. The trailer for season two of Vikings. 
gives you absolutely zero sense that there's a plot to this show. It's just two bands of Vikings standing opposite each other, just armed to the teeth and holding shields and a lot of b- blunt instruments. And then they both go, and they charge each other. And the remainder of the trailer is like a minute and a half of just hacking and just spurting blood and just unrelenting mayhem and violence. It's It's basically just... Bloody murder. The whole trailer. That's all it is. Well, look at, <laughs> well, at Nicholas uh, Reffin's movie. But I, I know, but what I'm saying, this is television. You remember, I mean, I remember back in the day when people were, parents' groups were like, Starskin Hutch is too violent because people get shot on that show. People were just apoplectic about the violence on Starskin Hutch. There is more violence in this, in this two-minute trailer for Viking Season 2 than in all four seasons of Starskin Hutch. So give me a break. Anyway, speaking of Vikings, uh, now everybody's trying to capitalize on Viking stuff. And uh, we get this uh, straight-to-video movie of Viking Saga, The Darkest Day. You know, somebody needs to explain to these people that Vikings did not wear horned helmets. Um, But, of course, that's what this guy's wearing on the cover of this thing. Uh, No, this is just, just, you know, well-intentioned, low-budget stuff. And... uh, I guess it'll make a buck or two from people who just look at the artwork and say, oh, cool, Vikings. Maybe it'll be like the TV show. But frankly, the TV show's better. So. Oh, wait, you know, uh, Sci-Fi has made its uh, made a splash with all those crazy Sharknado shows and yeah. TV movies and whatnot. By and the way, you know, it's our good friends over at the Asylum who did Sharknado. Is that right? Yeah. Did not know that. Yeah. David, I, I just traded emails with David Latt yesterday, so we're going we're gonna to have a lunch, and I'm going to get the scoop on uh, Sharknado <laughs> and... The whole thing—that's their biggest thing yet. You realize that? That's I know. Well, you know what? It, it's funny because the, the thing was like a social media phenomenon, but yeah. it didn't rate all that well. Well, but the second showing, but of the it second did. showing of it, yes. Yeah. So uh, now this is not a sci-fi film, but it may as well be. This is a, 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 a I believe a Chinese film called Croczilla, <laughs> and it was known in China as Million Dollar Crocodile, but here it's called Croczilla, maybe oh, to, to take advantage of the whole sci-fi thing. Uh, this film is just bizarre. It's actually a bit of a comedy. And uh, it's about a giant uh, crocodile. Eat stuff. Nice. I mean, what, what can I say? Crocodile eats stuff. It's cheesy. It's, uh, it's in Chinese. And uh, it's cheesy. You can put Zilla on the end of anything and make it funny. Wade Zilla. Bride Zilla. Wade Zilla. Mark Zilla. <laughs> no, Mark Zilla's like Kai Zilla. It's not bad. Uh, detention of the Dead. Speaking of, you can put of the dead on the end of anything, and it's an immediate joke. How about, Croczilla, how about Croczilla of the dead? There you go. George Romero gave us just the, the, the ultimate tag, and now everyone is just taking off of it. It's like, you know, uh, uh, Bridesmaids of the Dead. We know what that is. It's amazing. It's, it's instant genre. Put of the dead on the end of it. Everybody knows what it's about. It's a zombie movie. And uh, this, this takes place at a high school. Uh, during detention, and uh, suddenly zombies attack, and uh, basically you've got these students now who find themselves during detention uh, forced to uh, battle zombies. So in a way, we could probably say this is like the um, the Breakfast Club meets zombies, and that truly is what it is. Is it any good? Uh, it's marginally funny. Uh, you know, some of the actors are pretty good. I can see some of the people in this cast going on to do other things. Krista B. Allen. And uh, Max Adler, you've probably seen them in a few other things. Uh, Justin Chan, pretty good, too. So, I mean, you know, that, that, I don't know. If, if you like zombie movies and you just can't get enough of zombies and you want to see kind of a quasi-zombie comedy, it's not bad. I've decided I can't get enough of zombies. Really? Truly? Zombies are awesome. All right. Talk about Danny Boyle, please. You know, I was looking forward to Trans, the new film from Danny Boyle, and uh, I stayed with it for as long as I could, and obviously Danny Boyle knows exactly what he's doing. 
Um, and you always love the idea of a filmmaker who knows exactly what he's doing and you either buy it or you don't. Here, I didn't buy it. This is uh, with James McAvoy and Vincent Cassell, who's good in it, and Rosario Dawson, who, by the way, for all you um, fanboys out there, you see unbelievably full frontal from head to toe naked. Uh, usually I don't say things like that, but uh, it was pretty striking, the shot. Uh, I mean, w- w- in the context of the film, it was justifiable, but she was completely, totally naked. Uh, anyway, uh, James McAvoy uh, plays a, a fine art auctioneer who uh, tries to steal a, a million-dollar painting and all the crazy twists and turns that come along with it. And when I say twists and turns, I mean it because after a while, uh, this thing twists and turns so much that you just lose interest. And uh, and that that's a tough dance. You know, you, you, you want to keep people on the edge of their seat. You want to keep people guessing. But after a while, I felt the same way about duplicity. You know, Duplicity, which was the Julia Roberts film uh, that Tony Gilroy did. Yeah. Uh, I liked that film. I thought it was fun and frothy and whatever. But after a while, I just got so in love with its twists and turns. Just stop it. Just stop it telling me a story. Stop being so proud of yourself. Uh, Danny Boyle's trance is is like that to the nth degree. Yeah. And after a while, you just, you just sort of check out. But there's a lot of style. And I do like James McAvoy. And um, see, uh, what's his name? Uh, Vince Casale's terrific in it. Right. And Rosario Dawson. Uh, you know what? I, I don't know that I like her that much. I, I mean, she's pretty and she's not bad. But uh, I'm, I'm not sure I'm buying her. Um, other than just a pretty face. Anyway, so trance uh, is confusing. I'm sorry about that. Don't be sorry. Wait, it's not I your fault. I have to watch it now. <laughs> uh, and I love Danny Boyle. I am all about the Danny Boyle. So there's a whole category of uh, of Christian themed movies that aren't sort of overtly evangelical, but they have it around the rim and around the edges, and they get pretty decent casts. And uh, it includes everything from uh, you know the uh, the fireman movie. What was that? Uh, Fireproof. Oh yeah, right. those, those well, those are all you know they play in the South. And right, and uh, and then you also had uh, the uh, Seven Days in Utopia. Right. What was that? This, the about the golfer, right? And Robert Duvall is the old dude, and he's he's like lost his mojo, and so he's 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 a golfer, and he's he's gone crazy, and he goes to this little town, and Robert Duvall helps him get his mojo back, and he gets a little bit of spirituality, and goes to church, and then he becomes a good golfer again, right? That's Guess how old thing. Robert Duvall is? Well, that's a little. Guess how old Robert Duvall is? Uh, Eighty-seven. Eighty-two. Okay. He doesn't look a day over eighty-one. <laughs> He's the best. The uh, this is almost exactly the same story, except it is a uh, baseball-centric the movie. Is Home Run. And honestly, it's not bad. It's really obvious. It's totally on the nose, and it you know exactly where it's going to go. It's exactly one of those movies. But that being said, it it uh, it's it's got top notch production value. It doesn't feel pandering. It just feels like it's been made for a very specific audience, and and I'm okay with that. Uh, you even get a few name people who show up in this, like Vivica Fox, who who kind of throws her uh, her her name into this a little bit. She's not in a lot of it, but she's in enough of it. And uh, you know he's a he's a baseball star, and uh, he's just disintegrating. His life's coming apart at the seams because he's uh, you know he's just uh, too indulgent, and he basically goes home again, where his uh, where his his brother and uh, his family and everybody kind of embrace him and help him uh, get back on the straight and narrow. And it's fine. It also includes a uh, voodoo bonus copy, not ultraviolet, just a voodoo HD bonus copy, and uh, that is on Blu-ray. And again. First-rate production value, and it looks really, really good. Now, the week that that movie came out, it did really surprisingly well. But one movie did a lot better that week. 
And the movie that did better that weekend opened at number one, even though it wound up being a global disappointment ultimately, despite the pedigree, was Oblivion with Tom Cruise and Morgan Freeman. And uh, this was sort of – people are forgetting – I like you know, this movie. People are talking about how the, uh, all the, these recent tent poles are tanking. Oh, my gosh, all these tent poles are tanking. Everybody's forgetting. This was the first tent pole of the year to tank. Yeah, but it's also this is pretty out there for a tentpole. This was not Superman or whatever. This is no, a little a bit more. Friggin, it's mine. It's a, it's a, this is like a hundred and fifty million dollar Tom Cruise science fiction epic. That is true. I'm sorry, it tanked. But it's not based it made on two hundred uh, some million dollars worldwide. But it is a it, giant loser. Well, but if you, here's the thing, I'd rather if if you're going to bet a hundred, it's it's almost like Pacific Rim. If the studios are going to bet one hundred fifty million dollars on a movie, would you rather have them do Smurfs two, or would you rather have them do something that Maybe trying to be visually interesting, a little bit different, like Pacific Rim or Oblivion. I'd rather have them do uh, Smurf Oblivion, <laughs> Croc Smurf, Smurfzilla. I mean, uh, <laughs> so anyway, look. I mean, this—it's a good-looking film. That's oh, great. It's beautiful. Uh, it's beautiful looking. It's, it, was, it, it was the guy who did Tron Legacy. This movie is is way better than Tron Legacy. Oh, it's way better than Tron Legacy. It's way better than After Earth. You know, I mean, of all the, we've had a number of movies that are all about this dystopian. You know, the Earth is destroyed future. Um, and this is, I, I think, far and away the best of them. Uh, and Tom Cruise is really good in it. I don't think the, I don't think it's a bad movie at all. I think it's totally watchable. I just think it came out at the wrong time. It wasn't quite terribly well marketed. Uh, it should have had more kind of long term marketing juice going into it. But see, that's the way it is now. Now they just don't want to do long range marketing. They they sort of assume there's pre recognition and pre awareness. In anything that we do, and uh, you know, we'll give it a, a little two-week blitz before it opens. But we don't actually want to have to sort of build awareness, and you know, we don't want like six, seven months ahead of time. We don't want to have to, you know, work that hard at these things. The, the, the thing is, is that and they need to. Thing is that you can do all that stuff on like Facebook and Twitter for free. I know you don't need they, to buy a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand dollars spot. But on it isn't a even it, cable they, show. How hard is it to do a little bit of? To, to kind of milk these things, you know, for five months ahead of time, three months ahead of time. How, I mean, truly, how hard is that? How much harder would the marketing department have to work to do that, to add that to their calendar of, of – uh, uh, to their to-do list in addition to the, the two weeks of just unrelenting uh, power blitzing that they do right before it opens? I mean, truly, but, 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 how but hard you got to watch out because you can't burn people out four months before it starts. If you remember no, the Star but, Trek Into Darkness junket yeah. was like six months before the movie opened. Yeah. And, you know, they kept – I, I think the issue with Star Trek is that they waited too long for the sequel. And people were like, what? Is it, what? Sequel Star Trek? Yeah. They were kind of over it. Like the, the excitement from the first one yeah. had waned and they waited too long. By the way, can I say something? I want to remind everybody. What? The uh, Criterion sale, 50% off, still going on. That's right. At um, Barnes & Noble. Putting it out there. Well, anyway, Blu-ray, DVD, digital copy, uh, Ultraviolet here with Oblivion. And uh, it's a really good-looking ultraviolet. I have been watching uh, the ultraviolet copies, and I, I am, uh, I'm, I'm finding that a lot of them are really, really good-looking, especially the Universal stuff. Universal is doing, implementing ultraviolet. Universal, I think, is doing a much better job than the others. Wait, you know who never does a good job? Who does a good job? You know who never does a good job? Oh, who never does a good job? I don't know. Paul Walker. Paul Walker. He's, Let me guess, uh, is that yet another uh, attempt to cash in on Fast and the Furious by doing something that's not Fast and the Furious? Well, it's called Vehicle 19, and there's a bunch of vehicles on the front cover, and on the back cover, there's a vehicle on fire. Okay. The end. Yeah. Uh, there you go. I'm not going to so, talk about this movie. Paul Walker and Cars. We will never, ever get away from it. The worst. You realize that Paul, before Fast and the Furious, Paul Walker was really nothing. 
<laughs> he's nothing now. I, I guess he's a he's just a B movie guy. Yeah, he is. Anyway, he's like Jason. He's like a poor man's Jason Statham. Even Jason Statham is a, <laughs> a poor, poor man's, man's whatever. Jason exactly. Oh my gosh, that's sad. Uh, let's see. We got to two films left to talk about. Two uh, regular movies, and then we will go into our giveaway and some listener mail. Um, Mark Henry Jaglum gives me the creeps. The creeps. Uh, Forty-five minutes from Broadway, which features the title in that font that can only be known as Jaglum. It's the same font that he uses for all his movies. He's the worst. He's like Woody Allen. It's got to be always the same font. It's that weird, kind of quirky, uh, asymmetrical. Funky, funky font that looks like it belongs in the 1970s. Um, he went and resurrected the career. Well, no, not really resurrected, but he, he threw a bone to Judd Nelson, who's done nothing in uh, 150,000 years. This is uh, from Breaking Glass. It's called 45 Minutes from Broadway. And uh, like all Jaglum films, it is exceptionally improvised, and it feels like it. Uh, you know... It, Henry Jaglum movies are all about putting people in a room and kind of giving them a few improv uh, instructions and some loosely scripted ideas and letting them just emote and do their thing. And th- this is almost more navel-gazing than, than any of that because it's all about the, theat- the theatricality is wrapped up in an actual storyline that is theatrical. Uh, this is about an actress and her sister, who's not an actress, who um, go back home. Uh, and they come from a family, right? You know, a family of actors. And they go back home, and uh, everybody starts talking, and all the cracks and crevices of their deep-seated family issues come exploding open, and there it is. It's, um, I don't know. It, actors are already, they're weird enough. My apologies to all of the actors out there. I've got them in my family, and I, I come from actors. But uh, actors are weird enough that I don't need to watch actors act, weird actors act out the idiosyncrasies and neuroses of weird actors. Eh? Do you understand what I'm saying? No. Anyway, a lot of people love this movie. Again, I'm not a huge Jaglum fan, but uh, in fact, I'm not a Jaglum fan at all, but, you know, this it's a Jaglum movie. It's just, it's through and through. If you were to not know who did this movie and you watch it, you would, if you knew anything about Henry Jaglum, you'd go, oh my gosh, it's a Henry Jaglum movie. There it is. Boy, did Lionsgate uh, try to push Ginger and Rosa for awards considerations. Didn't really work. Nope. Not in the least. But uh, I like this movie, though. <laughs> this is with Elle Fanning and Alessandro Nivola. Possibly Nivola, which makes you want to say Nicola. You know that... Uh, <laughs> Ricola. Oh, Ricola. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is uh, from Sally Potter, who uh, made an art house splash in 92 with Orlando and hasn't really done all that much of note in this country since. This is her best film since Orlando. It's also her most mainstream film since Orlando. And it's about these two young girls growing up uh, kind of around the you know Cold War era. And they're inseparable at the beginning. And then there are frisions in their friendship kind of as the movie goes on. And uh, I liked it. I liked it because it's a film about teenage girls growing up and finding themselves. But it's not... It's not all phony and enlightening and twee and cutesy, and it's pretty. It's it's a good movie. I was surprised. Nice. I mean, I understand why they they pitch it so hard because it is a better than average movie of this type. And Sally Potter is definitely a director who I think awards givers want to re recognize. But ultimately, this thing never got much traction. But it's got a good uh, cast, including uh, Annette Bening, Oliver Platt, Timothy Spall, and of course Wade Major. 
Thank you. I, I, uh, I had fun doing this. Um, so we're going to give away three DVDs of Erased, the uh, Aaron Eckhart thriller. What? Right, where, you know, they try to get rid of it. They try to erase all vestige of his existence. I, I feel that way about his career. Exactly. Anyway, we talked about that uh, like two weeks, a week ago, two weeks ago. It's one of the more recent shows. And um, so we're going to be giving away three DVDs of Erased. And uh, you'll have good fun watching Aaron Eckhart to uh, try to figure out why they're after him and how to get his identity back. How to get his life back. They took it away. He's got to get it back. So go ahead and email us at gods at digigods.com. Just put the word erased, E R A S E D, in the subject line. And uh, we will uh, it, make sure you get that to us by, let's see, let me look at the calendar. Today at five. Uh, yeah, totally. No, make sure we get that uh, date stamped by Friday the 26th. Friday, July the 26th. And as long as the emails are all date stamped by Friday, July the 26th, we will select three emails at random. Make sure you include your name and mailing address in the body of the email. And we will select three at random and uh, alert you that you have won. And we'll uh, have, the, have the studio go ahead and send you your brand new spanking flashy Aaron Eckhart DVD to sit proudly on your bookshelf. Whee! How exciting is that? All right, Mark, we've got some listener mail. Now, Aaron Eckhart is not sitting on your bookshelf. It's the movie no, Aaron featuring Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart. No, the, the, you'll watch, while you watch the movie, Aaron Eckhart will come to your house. Sit and on he your bookshelf? Sit, he'll sit in your bookshelf. Be great. <laughs> and watch it? you watch the movie. <laughs> uh, it's too funny. All right. Uh, let's see. Listener mail. All right. First one from Kyle Stevens, longtime listener. Talking about Die Hard 5. That movie blew. Worst thing about Die Hard and John Mack is that he used to be the everyman in extreme circumstances with lots of realistic humor. Now John Mack is a freaking superhero. When he jumped on a jet fighter in Die Hard 4, I paused to see anywhere in that sequence we could see the fawns and a shark. After Die Hard 4, they should have ended the series, rebooted it, or had John Mack die and move on to a new main character. I agree, actually. Can you imagine that if Die Hard actually took on a new character, went and kind of rebooted it with a new guy? Well, I, I, I figured that they would reboot it with the son. That, that, no, that, I, I seriously doubt it. Really? That guy's going to carry a movie? Well, I, don't look at me. No. I it doesn't have to be the same thought. family. It's crazy. Nuts. Uh, Walter Gass says, I like the Lone Ranger joke, as in L-O-A-N Ranger. Uh, hurts me to admit that. Uh, more sadly, I saw the new Lone Ranger, and I thought it was awful. It was awful on top of awful. When they pl- finally played the William Tell Overture, I sank even further in my seat, and I thought, man, they didn't really earn that. I know this is anti-Hollywood thinking, but why can't properties like the Lone Ranger, Robin Hood, Zorro, and the Wild Wild West be made as serious $50 million westerns? When I say serious, I'm not saying it can't be fun. Just taken seriously. Lose the crazy spectacle. Explosions, mechanical spiders, head in jars, Kevin Costner's accent, and just make like 310 to Yuma with Lone Ranger, Zorro, Robin Hood, James West. Westerns shouldn't cost $200 million plus. I love Westerns, but crap like The Lone Ranger not only insults the genre, but makes it makes studios skittish to make a type of film no one wants to make to begin with. Maybe a superhero Western. Sigh. Um, yeah, you know, and, and the reason is all laid out in, uh, in my interview with Linda Obst, which is uh, Westerns don't play overseas. I, I, you know, I finished her book. Yeah. It's very good. It's great. It's an easy read. It's great. So, uh, you know, they, they, need, they need to hit that Chinese market, and that means that a Western can't just be a Western. It's got to be... Thing. It's got to be giant. It has to be cowboys and aliens. It's got to be cowboys and aliens. We know how well that did. Yeah, boy, didn't it? 
Uh, Frank Lopes says, Wade and Mark, I have a question for you. A comic book writer by the name of Mark Wade, ironic, right? W-A-I-D, uh, was recently asked and, uh, about his opinion of the craptastic Man of Steel. In it, he was asked if Superman was the only version of this character that can appeal to a mass audience. And he said that from what he's aware from his sources at DC is that Warner Brothers thinks he's too corny. And that we're in a time where the people in charge of the character believe that this version is the only version that audiences want to see. What do you think about that statement? Uh, Mark, what do you think? I think that's BS. I think that uh, because of the uh, popularity of the Dark Knight trilogy, that Warner Brothers is in this, all of our superheroes have to be dark, and Superman has to kill somebody at the end because that's dark. I agree. Because dark is cool and edgy. I agree. They just don't have, they're, they're trying to make everything... In in the Batman vein, and what's weird is that now DC, all the DC movies are dark and brooding, and all the all the Marvel characters are like fun and and peppy, which is not at all the way that the comic books were. Like DC used to be the fun peppy comic book, and Marvel heroes were the ones with issues and brooding, and you know trying to get in touch with their childhood, you know, angst. It just crazy. yeah, but look, but look at. Uh... Look at Iron Man. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. brings such energy and fun and humor to that series. It has nothing to do... Now, of course, Warner Brothers might be saying, we don't want to be just like uh, the Marvel films. Right. The Marvel films can cast Robert Downey Jr. We have to cast... Uh, you know, right. We have to have Superman kill people. Because yeah. that, that's our take. Because yeah. otherwise, it'll look like we're co-opting Marvel's take. Right. And I guess there might be corporate logic in that. However, each character should be whatever that character is. I agree. And it shouldn't fit into some sort of corporate plan. That's what I think. And Dwayne writes us and says, Gentlemen, I'm a Dwayne Wade? No, just Dwayne. I'm a big fan of the Ghibli films in general and Hayao Miyazaki in particular. I've been slowly updating my Ghibli films from DVD to Blu-ray recently and came across a disturbing article that Disney has lost distribution rights to Princess Mononoke. Furthermore, it seems they have no plans of reacquiring them. I know Mononoke was in the old Miramax library, which has been acquired by Lionsgate. I'm wondering if there's a possibility we will see a Blu-ray release from either of these two companies, if there's no current plans for it in the near future. Um, actually, Lionsgate is only releasing some stuff from Miramax. They didn't acquire the Miramax library. They just they have the, the distribution license. And Mill Creek you know, also does, and, or, or uh, Echo Bridge does. Sorry, not Mill Creek, Echo Bridge. Get my creek in my bridge. The bridge goes over the creek. Got to remember that. Echo Bridge goes over Mill Creek. Thank you. Now, back to the subject at hand. Echo Bridge also is releasing a lot of Miramax titles. Um, the issue there is that the uh, Disney only had some of the Ghibli films. Princess Mononoke was a Miramax title. The license has expired, and there's uh, no indication that it will be renewed necessarily for Miramax, but, you know, uh, it's, I don't even think the Blu-ray is available overseas. I don't think it's uh, even available in Japan. So, And if you did get it, you wouldn't get the American dubbing with, you know, uh, all the actors like, um, you know, uh, they always want to Billy play Bob like Thornton. Matt Damon or something. Well, Billy like Bob that Thornton doing Billy Bob Thornton is a samurai. It doesn't bother too. me that Disney lost all that. I think Disney. They, I, don't, I don't think they really. They but don't Princess respect Mononoke, Princess Mononoke. Does need to come out on Blu-ray? It's no, just, that's there's fine. No, there's no sign that it's, that's going to happen anytime soon. But I don't think that Disney really respected the Miyazaki films historically. I think that they wanted to True. take them and they wanted to put Matt Damon over it. And they wanted to release it as if it was a Disney film. I mean, those films are brilliant and they're beautiful and they're unique. And Miyazaki is a genius. And I think that Disney just saw like more cartoon dollars. True. All right, Mark. I'm going to uh, I'm going to blow through some foreign language films really quickly, and then we'll uh, we'll get into some classics and see what else we can uh, we can kind of wrap up here. Um, a director whose name I know I'm going to absolutely mutilate here. I'm going to murder this uh, because I just uh, I. 
Because you're stupid? Uh, no, just because I I'm. Because you're stupid. I cannot pronounce. Uh, I cannot pronounce like uh, Portuguese names. Kleber Mendoza Filho Filho Filho. You're whatever. so stupid. Anyway, made a movie called Neighboring Sounds, which is very very good. This is uh, out from uh, Cinema Guild, and uh, it is. If you if you're a foreign lo- if you're a foreign film lover, I think you'll really really dig this. It's. Uh, it's just really, really cool. It takes place in a um, in a coastal city, and it deals with the oh, how do I put this? It's it it deals with the I guess social and political divisions within the city and within a particular neighborhood. And it it's a fascinating character study. It is uh, it's it's funny and it's weird and compelling, and um, it's just, uh, it, it's really, really interesting. And it's especially interesting considering that uh, what's going on in Brazil right now with all the out, you know, you, Brazil, you would think, is, would be thrilled that they're hosting the World Cup. They, they've won more World Cups than any other country in the world, and, you know, they're finally hosting it again, and they, they think they're going to be the favorites, and soccer is just like a religion in Brazil. And yet all the spending that has gone, into new stadiums and so forth is really upsetting a huge chunk of the population because they feel like, you know what, we, we're living in squalor and in ghettos and you're spending recklessly on stadiums. And suddenly there's this, you know, Brazil is one of these great emerging economies are all of these fissures that are ex- exposed now in the society. And Neighboring Sounds doesn't go directly to that, but it kind of floats around that. And it's really interesting. It's really well shot. And uh, it's a beautiful Blu-ray. It includes a bunch of cool special features, including uh, four of the director's previous short films, which are all really, really good, especially um, uh, Friday night, Saturday morning. It's really terrific. And then some deleted scenes. So it's a, it's a, that's a damn good movie. Uh, North Face is a movie that Mark and I both absolutely loved. This is a mountain climbing movie. It's a German movie set uh, during World War II or just before World War II, 1936, when uh, you know all of the all that uh, Hitlerian Superman stuff was uh, was really trying to uh, find propaganda fodder. And uh, this is one of them. And this is a hell of a movie. It is pr- maybe the best mountain climbing movie I've ever seen. It is just gripping and uh, outstanding in every conceivable way. We actually were guests at the screening of this thing. Do you remember that? Yes. Stephen Farber screened this, and uh, we had to go up and talk like we knew what we were talking about. Uh, which, of course, we didn't. We didn't, no. Yes, we but anyway, great, great movie. Outstanding special effects. Really, really just uh, sensational. As a Blu-ray, the audio will floor you. It is uh, impressive on a level that is just mind-boggling. <laughs> uh, it's impressive on a level that is just my, wait can, can uh, more hyperbole no I can't I can't is, find is that better hi, hyperbole hi, hi, I, if, if I were given 10 million years and a billion dollars I could not possibly give you a more hyperbolic statement ah uh, see you took the thing and you did it, they wrapped it up in a fleecies <laughs> uh, a couple of criterions here great ones I'm so thrilled this is happening Babette's Feast the Gabrielle Axel movie uh, that will make you just want to eat until you burst is out on Blu-ray finally, and it is just gorgeous. Uh, they did a great job with this. This is one of the best films of the '80s. I mean, I, I just I can't get enough of this movie. It is a it is a joy and a treasure and a pleasure, and um, lots of fantastic extras on here. There's a, a 1995 documentary called Karen Blixen Storyteller, which is all about the the woman who wrote this, the author, the original author. Um, and uh, if you've never heard of Karen Blixen, you might know her under her other name, Isaac Dennison. Stephen Thank King. You. Isaac Dennison being, of course, come on. Stephen King. That's the character played by uh, Meryl Streep in Out of Africa. Ooh. That's right. Anyway, uh, there's an, a Michael Amoreta visual essay, which is a little weird. And uh, then sociologist Priscilla Parkhurst Ferguson talks about the, uh, the significance of cuisine in French culture. It's outstanding. This movie is just great. 
Absolutely fantastic. And uh, it's in Danish, French, and Swedish, three of my favorite languages. Another criterion is Oharu, the life of Oharu, sometimes just known as Oharu. And uh, in order to accent that, they, they, the, the, the cover puts the life of in very, very tiny, tiny letters up at the top just so that you see Oharu because it's cool. Japanese titles are cool. This is one of the, uh, the great movies from Kenzi Mizuguchi, who is, uh, many consider him sort of the first great Japanese filmmaker. Uh, this was in 1952. He was already a big deal and a big cheese before uh, Kurosawa even was like a blip on the radar. And uh, this is just uh, an absolutely amazing movie that uh, at the time was already very, very advanced, looking at, you know, how Japanese society treats women and uh, really extraordinary. And Mizuguchi is a guy who was sort of, you know, he, he, was, he came up through the whole silent film thing in Japan. I mean, he was one of the first guys to make movies in Japan, and he just became a huge, huge guy. He, he sort of stylistically helped build very much the, the style we associate with Japanese films today. And this is just absolutely gorgeous. Um, Great melodrama and uh, still just as brilliant as it ever was. Um, the uh, extras include a, an audio commentary from uh, film scholar Dudley Andrew, uh, an illustrated audio essay called Mizuguchi's Art and the Demi Monde, and then uh, a really, really cool uh, kind of uh, documentary or a document of, uh, of uh, the tour that the film's uh, actor did in 1949, uh, The Travels of Kinuyo Tanaka, and it's, uh, it's terrific. And then Starbuck is uh, probably going to get a little bit of traction just because they've remade it into a Vince Vaughn movie called Delivery Man. I doubt that the Vince Vaughn movie will be anywhere as entertaining as Starbuck. Starbuck is a French-Canadian movie, all based on, somewhat based on an actual story, although I, I, there's no way that it's you know, entirely like the, the, the real story is anything anywhere nearly as sensational as it's about a guy in his 40s who... Um, it basically had supported himself on some level by uh, being a sperm donor in his leaner years, and now he finds out that he's the biological father of uh, over 500 kids, and there are like a hundred and some, about 140 some of them who now want to find out who their actual dad is, and so he goes around and uh, tries to uh, sort of learn a little bit about these various kids that you know are his kids, and. Uh, it's interesting. It is, um, it's funny, but it doesn't play the whole concept for uproarious laughs. It doesn't really go broad with it, uh, to its credit, because it's a serious subject. And uh, it walks a fine line. It walks a very, very fine line. But it does so, I think, in a, in a mature and a sensible way. And French-Canadian movies don't often get a lot of traction here. Certainly the commercial ones almost never get released here. There's a whole series of uh, hockey movies called The Boys, which was huge in Canada. Never made it beyond the Canadian border. Never made it beyond the borders of Quebec. But Starbuck is is one that appears to have really, really done well, and uh, deservedly so. And then, lastly, from Draft House, in their uh, Hallmark clear plastic packaging, a Blu-ray of Pieta, which is uh, an amazing movie from Kim Ki-duk, the uh, phenomenal Korean director, whose movies are a little bit odd and kind of Lynchian, and usually very silent and, and eccentric. Uh, this thing is this is his his crowning achievement. I mean, he has made some movies like Nine Iron that I absolutely loved, but this just goes beyond anything else he's ever done. Uh, this won the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival last year, and um, should have gotten... I'm sorry, Three Iron is the movie, not Nine Iron. Three Iron. Uh, this should have actually uh, gotten an Oscar nomination, and it didn't, um, which is odd, because he got an Oscar nomination for, uh, what was the... Uh, uh, 
spring, summer, fall, winter, and spring. Is that how it was? Spring, summer? Yeah. Something like that. Started in spring. Yeah. Uh, he got an Oscar nomination for that, but not for this, which is weird because this is so, so much better. And um, it's, this, is a, this is a really weird, twisted, um, fascinating kind of crime thriller. It's unusual and very different from a lot of his previous films. So, all right, Mark. We're right down at the end of the show. Um, knock off a couple. Let's knock off a couple last these uh, these newer movies. Um, I like new movies because the movies one. are old. Do, what? do that one. I'll do this one. Uh, this is uh, Lord of the Flies. Wade, Lord of the Flies. If you ever been to high school, I don't know if Wade actually was in high school, but if Wade was in high school and maybe even graduated from high school, he knows Lord of the Flies. Now, this is a uh, very bizarre 1963 take on the material. This was directed by uh, a very strange kind of – he's a theater guy named Peter Brook. And Peter Brook did amazing King Lear, which is still not on DVD or on, on Blu-ray. Well, but anyway, carry until on. that happens, we do have Lord of the Flies. This, of course, is the classic uh, – based on, the, oh, I think, a William Golding uh, book about, uh, you know, what primitivism lurks beneath the sheen of little civilization children. as seen through little children on an island. Anyone who's ever been to a preschool knows that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the thing here is not only is the film just terrific, and I'm glad the Criterion is kind of uh, resurrecting it, but a lot of great extras. There's a, a deleted scene here. There's an interview with Brooke, who's still around. This is in 2008. Or is he still around? I don't know, but in 2008 he was, uh, unless he did the interview when he was dead, which would be very strange. There's also a uh, – what's interesting, and you may even want to watch this first before you watch the film, there's a documentary included here from 75 that kind of gets into Brooks's uh, directing method, his theater directing methods. And, you, and it might be a good primer so that when you launch into the film, you're not totally freaked out. But uh, Lord of the Flies from Criterion, uh, thank you, Criterion, for unearthing this. It's really, really good stuff. And then lastly, a couple of Twilight Time titles for, that you can only get at ScreenArchives.com. Uh, I'm always amazed at the stuff that the, the studios are just letting someone else sub-license. For crying out loud, Sleepless in Seattle. Are you kidding me? Sony, what are you doing? Um, but thank goodness you're, you're letting them do it. I mean, it's uh, So Sleepless in Seattle, a great Columbia film, now out from Twilight Time. Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, uh, Nora Ephron, probably her, one of her crowning achievements. And, produced uh, by? Produced, produced by, by Linda Obst, who uh, was kind enough to talk to us for our midweek special show about a week or so ago. And uh, so this is, a, this is a beautiful Blu-ray. Twilight Time did a fantastic job on it, as they always do. And, of course, it includes the uh, isolated score track that they always get. And then you get a Nora and Delia Efren commentary, which is really, really good. And then lastly, Love is a Many Splendored Thing, which is a movie that I absolutely despise. But it is a famous film. It has a famous song. And uh, a lot of people just think this is, like, one of the great all-time melodramas ever made, 1955. William Holden along with uh, Jennifer Jones who is I, I, I just you know what Jennifer Jones plays Asian and it just doesn't work and William Holden tries hard but the whole thing is just an embarrassing an embarrassment of schmaltz I hate it but a lot of people love it it's just one of those old melodramas and that being said we are done Mark go to your sax lesson thank you thank you